Hello and welcome to the Embrace Your Destiny podcast. My name is Sandra Dawes and I'm your host. And if you're new to the podcast, just to give you a little bit about it, this is all about sharing the journeys of women who have been through a challenging time in their life and they've made it through to the other side. They've survived that challenge and they've learned lessons from that experience. And they're here to share those lessons with you as well as give advice to anybody who might be going through something similar in their own life. And my guest today is Laura Valenti. And Laura started dancing with Susanna and Yaakov Darlingkhan, the creators of School of Movement Medicine in 2009. And as soon as she found this form of mindfulness in motion, she fell in love with it and she continued to dance as much as she could, even when she had cancer. Her work is informed by her training in sound and voice therapy, clowning, physical theater, and other healing modalities, and her background in law, sociology of migration and human rights. She has lived, traveled, and worked in the UK, California, Peru, Ecuador, Guatemala, and Italy. Working with both groups, working both with groups and on a one-on-one -on -one basis, she shared movement medicine with indigenous communities, people in drug and alcohol rehabilitation, refugees, and vulnerable adults. Laura was born in Italy, where she learned about good food, hospitality, colorful swearing, and native <laughs> ancient forms of ecstatic dance. Recently, she moved to Spain with her partner, and her dream is to find a land to steward and restore, to create her garden and invite people to dance and reconnect to the elements inside and around them. Laura, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to be a guest today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here today with you and with your audience. I'm really excited and touched, actually, to have this opportunity. Thank you. Laura, I mean, you've traveled so much. We'll have to offline have more of a conversation about all these amazing places <laughs> you've been to. I Yeah, I think I've um, only been to the UK out of the list on your in your bio, but everywhere else sounds really exciting as well. So Laura, why don't you start with sharing the journey that you want to um, talk about today? Yes, thank you, with pleasure. Um, I would like to share really uh, how the journey uh, started with dance uh, because uh, it was um, uh, when I was very little actually. Uh, I lost uh, my mom uh, when I was six years old, uh, suddenly, actually. She uh, died of brain aneurysm from one day to another, so it was very unexpected. And uh, as you can imagine, that threw the family in complete chaos and uh, panic and really messy, messy times. And... Um, I think that uh, because of the culture in Italy in those years, the 80s, you know, a quite uh, old-fashioned country which uh, uh, had very little culture, you know, around uh, therapy and uh, healing, you know, my family went through really difficult, difficult times, not knowing very well how to cope with a little one, basically. And so um, after my mom died, uh, my dad and I um, lived uh, with my grandparents who also were quite uh, traditional, <laughs> I would say. And, <laughs> you know, uh, pretty much, you know, traditional people, you know, um, 
uh, going to church, uh, religious, old-fashioned, and uh, to an extent, you know, the loss and uh, the grief uh, transformed me pretty much as I was very young into a little rebel, I would say. Ah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so one of the favorite things I had when I was small, and to an extent, I remember that I used to do that because I knew that um, I would bother my grandmother a little bit or I would uh, make her feel a little bit uh, scandalized with my behavior, was that I would lock myself in the living room put the music full on volume dancing <laughs> to the dancing to the uh, strangest things you know like heavy metal like iron maiden very strange things you know like Ozzy Osbourne and Guns N' Roses a little bit later <laughs> so i would dance and dance and sweat and sweat and sweat until i was exhausted and then i had these memories of my grandmother you know a little bit like uh, in a comic or in a cartoon coming in opening the door yelling <laughs> <laughs> telling, me, telling me to put the volume down and then i would put it even higher and yell back up there and you know shut leave me alone i'm busy here so I think that that was my very intuitive and somewhat uh, natural form of self-soothing and uh, stress release. Right, yeah, because it was, um, yeah, therapeutic for you to like just... Absolutely, absolutely. Get rid of all that pent-up frustration or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I obviously didn't know that consciously, (laughs) so it's it's very interesting just to see how children do things naturally you know so as a child I I would say intuitively and naturally knew that uh, to move my body was a way to really get stuff out of my system uh, because of the stressful environment where I was living you know Uh, I remember this feeling uh, since a child since being a child actually of having the perception you know of knowing that it would take me a long time before I could see the light on the other side of the tunnel. Somewhat I knew that. And I remember also thinking like, uh, you know, uh, I was bothered by being under the authority of adults. (laughs) And I knew that it would take a long before I could be independent. So years passed by and the dance was then, uh, you know, uh, uh, brought after into weird uh, and not really bright places, you know, like clubs and discotheques, uh, where also I started to abuse, you know, alcohol and drugs. So by the time I was a young adult, I had a very little sense of uh, self-care uh, self-esteem and looking after myself I just really didn't know how to do that and um, as oftentimes we hear you know in various uh, fields you know from spirituality to psychology uh, as a child I probably took on a lot of the responsibility you know and the sense of guilt of my mother not being there any longer, you know, children have the tendency to interiorize this kind of situations. So I just really didn't know what to do with myself. And 
I can say that I have been lucky enough, not only that I lived and survived, but uh, also that I didn't tap, I didn't end up being in big problems or that I didn't have accidents. You know, I really put myself in, I would say also dangerous situations, you know, like, uh, I would wake up in the middle of the night, two or three in the morning, completely drunk in the middle of the road. And my friends were all gone and they didn't know where I was, you know, stuff right. like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was tempted also to experiment with heroin and I was lucky enough actually that I was scared of needles. So right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was pretty phobic with needles, you know, so that actually prevented me to inject the heroin in my veins. So I put myself in all sorts of weird circumstances, including having, you know, obviously boyfriends and, you know, really dysfunctional relationships. And again, because I didn't know how to take care of myself, I would allow people to treat me in a way that it wasn't healthy, you know, and I would become very easily a doormat and, and have also a very little sense of boundaries, you know. So, um, as I said, by also already, I would say by the age of 21, I had another maybe um, feeling of knowing how long I needed, you know. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to take a long time. I knew that I was in a mess. And that wasn't uh, a time where in Italy we were talking about self-help or self-development, nothing of that, you know. So... I felt that I was pretty much on my own and all I could do, it was to experiment. And uh, the, the feeling I had, and I remember it was like a, a bulb went on because a lot of the discomfort I was experiencing, it was in my body, you know. Uh, I remember particularly sometimes when taking drugs, the drugs would amplify the sense of discomfort in my body, you mm. know, like... I would feel weird and clumsy and rigid right. and stiff and really, really not comfortable. And, and this sometimes I would experience also in daily life of not feeling fluid or flexible, you know. So a bug went on and I understood that in my own journey to include the body at all levels and to heal through the body, it was key. So then I started just to experiment and to test. So I started a little bit with yoga, you know, the <laughs> classical things, until I then discovered the, the uh, dances, which uh, are part of the Italian tradition. So uh, when we speak, for example, about aesthetic dances, you know, uh, in Italy, actually, we have a form that is really ancient and original, you know, it's not something just contemporary. So these dances belong to the south of Italy. Um, there are very specific form of drumming that uh, accompany the dance and uh, certain specific rhythm and patterns of the drum support, uh, you know, the change of the brainwaves and, you know, shift somewhat, uh, you know, consciousness and uh, awareness around oneself. So it's a long story, you know, I'm going to summarize it a little bit, but... <laughs> That was another uh, element that came in while I was still, you know, 
figuring things out. And in the meanwhile, I was studying law and I was interested, you know, in uh, uh, learning a few things about uh, justice and human rights and probably, you know, coming from a childhood where I felt that what uh, happened to me was unfair. I developed a pretty strong sense of uh, empathy and sensitivity, you know, towards injustice. So I was very interested in learning how I can, I, I could make a contribution, you know. And, um, and then life went on <laughs> until uh, I decided to study theatre physical theatre particularly, um, uh, as another form to understand more what it means to live in this body, <laughs> you know? Um, because to an extent uh, I had also the feeling and the understanding that I was a little bit dissociated, you know? Um, I was having a lot of problems in terms of sometimes feeling that I was going really crazy, you know, uh, I was suffering from uh, obsessive and repetitive thoughts and uh, there were many moments in which I felt also suicidal, you know, and also that sometimes there was a split between really being here in the physical body and part of me really being somewhere else. I really don't know where, you know part of me wasn't fully here. Right, not fully present. Yes, I wasn't, you know, and it was all this circle of obsessive thinking and uh, a lot of paranoia, a lot of fear, you know, because obviously also, again, what happened when I was a child, it triggered so much, you know, at the physiological level, you know, also the adrenals and cortisol and stress and all of that. And uh, at that point in my middle twenties, I didn't have yet an opportunity to really have a wider understanding of what that meant and why I was feeling that way. And also forgiving myself for feeling that way and understanding that to an extent it was also normal to feel in that way considering the circumstances I was coming from you know so I knew to an extent that I needed to relax my nervous system but I really didn't know what was happening and what I had to do and um, so after I graduated then I went to Hungary I spent some time there living studying doing a few things until I decided to move to England and study theater there, as I mentioned, and then I got cancer. So I got the cancer actually when I was 33. So it was a mostly, more or less, sorry, <clears throat> at the same age in which my mother died. She died, she died when she was 34. Oh, wow. So I say to myself, okay, this, it cannot be really random, right? So I had already some years of therapy behind me, you know, I had a therapist when I was in Budapest. So as soon as I was diagnosed, uh, uh, actually it was a fast uh, growing uh, cell cancer, you know, it was non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Uh, and I was misdiagnosed actually a few times. So for a couple of months, I was in excruciating pain and I could barely walk, you know, the cancer was pushing behind my breastbone and actually it did fracture my breastbone. So it was also pushing, you know, against the nerves and, you know, I would have pain in my back and in my arms. And, and it took a while before the doctors, unfortunately, understood that. 
So I went then for a cycle of chemotherapy, uh, cycles actually of chemotherapy. And then I realized that uh, <laughs> there was some more work to do, you know, that this cancer was really telling me something. And it was an opportunity to uh, make choices and also to to pray and to hope that I could have another opportunity to be here. You know, I remember thinking that actually I really didn't want to die. You know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't ready to go. Right. <laughs> you you know? still had work to do. It's exactly, you know, this is what I felt exactly. It was like, okay, you know, I still have a lot of things that I want to do. I have a lot of passion. I want to, share you know the things I love I want to learn I want to see more of the world I want to love I want to travel you know and uh, and so I decided that uh, I would make uh, out of cancer an adventure you know <clears throat> rather than taking it as something that uh, would uh, you know make me feel utterly terrified and uh, I was scared obviously you know it's not that I wasn't scared but uh, I made uh, as much as I could, the conscious decision to include also an element of uh, play and include curiosity and experimenting with things. So at that time also I was dancing a lot, as I may have uh, written in the biography. It was in that year actually that I met my teachers. So I remember going to classes and workshops, you know, between chemotherapy and being bold, you know, without hair and without eyebrow and, um, you know, so needing also to um, uh, embrace this different way of being also physically, you know, uh, I was bloated, my face was swollen, you know, because I was taking steroids. So also my body was really, you know, uh, bombarded to yeah. an extent also with chemicals, you know. Um, but I was lucky enough because I decided also at that point, uh, not only that I would dance, but I would move as much as I could. So, uh, you know, I was riding the bicycle. I went to hike, you know, I remember hiking actually under the snow in, uh, you know, Northern England and all of that. So I wanted to, I, I didn't want to feel that I was a victim, you know, in that moment. And, uh, and then I experimented, you know, with few things. And, and then as soon as the uh, cycles of chemotherapy finished uh, in the hospital, they wanted to give me uh, radiotherapy, which I rejected at the time. And uh, I am aware that this is a very delicate topic. So I'm not suggesting anything to people, you know, who are in a similar situation at the moment. I'm not a doctor. Right. I'm I'm just sharing, you know, what happened to me. Uh, I knew that at that point, because of my age, I didn't want to add the radiotherapy on my chest, you know, after, after six cycles of chemotherapy. So I walked out of the hospital. I knew that I was fine at that point. And so um, by the time, in fact, I did, you know, the last uh, um, scan a few months after, they said that the uh, there was no activity any longer, you know, uh, cancerous activity, malignant activity. And so, you know, <laughs> I survived and uh, I decided also that uh, all those uh, 
creative aspects that were so important for me at this point also, even more so as an adult, uh, moving and dancing. I wanted not only to learn more at the personal level, but I wanted to learn more also professionally in order to be able to share it with others. So I started this very long journey and apprenticeship program, you know, with the School of Movement Medicine. Until then, you know, I went into professional training with uh, a lot of hours of supervision and mentoring and self-reflective practice is a very profound training, actually. Uh, and so I graduated as a teacher and as a facilitator. And then uh, I investigated also my relationship, not only with sound, but also with my voice, because there was something that was coming um, for me, uh, let's say at the physical level, I was really curious to hear my voice more. So there was a really, how can I say, practical, physical tangent, you know, uh, that I could touch, how can I say, aspect. And, there, and then there were different layers. There were the metaphors, you know, related to using my voice and the storytelling related to um, how my voice was connected also to the women who came before me. Um, and this was related to the perception that I had uh, around my culture, around uh, Italy, where um, my sense was that oftentimes women particularly were muted and blocked. Yeah, in, in no their voice. Yes, exactly, in their creative expression. So I started to have this urge, you know, it was like really something urgent, if I pronounce it well in English, for me to play an experiment with my voice and really like hearing myself loud, you know, uh, doing strange noises. I remember sometimes I would walk just uh, close to a river, you know, where there was the strong uh, sound of the water and then I would sing to the water or simply I would make noise. So there was a lot of permission somewhat that was given to myself. I needed to reclaim that for myself. And I have the feeling that I was reclaiming that also for the women who came before me. And, um, and at the end, you know, uh, I didn't know whether that was true or not, but it was a story in that moment that for me was, uh, uplifting and it was making sense and it was giving me a lot of inspiration, you know, to do something that I felt that, uh, ultimately it was really good for me. So there was something about really learning how can I, uh, learn, forgive the repetition, to be good to myself, you know? Yeah. And how, yes, can I do that by connecting to actually to things that I love, you know? And how can I express myself more freely? Laura, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned through this journey? The biggest lesson that I learned, <clears throat> I think uh, it has been related to uh, Knowing that I was scared through cancer, you know, I would say something that is not true if I would say, oh, no, I wasn't scared, you know, <laughs> I, I had no fear. No, the fear was there, uh, but there, were, there was something about choosing not to uh, drown in fear, you know, or not to become enslaved to it. So I knew I was there. 
And then I chose these practices, particularly movement, uh, you know, uh, between chemotherapy sessions as a form of meditation, actually. It is an active form of meditation to be really present because I knew that if I would give up into the fear of dying, that could have been not only overwhelming, but I couldn't afford that in terms of needing to function more clearly, make more informed choices, you know, to be able to be more with myself and decide what to do. You know, okay, I'm in the hospital. They want to give me an extra scan. Am I saying yes or am I saying no? They want to do this. Does it feel good? It doesn't feel good. So it was a practice to be actually really, as many say, in the present moment as much as possible knowing that the fear was there and forgiving myself also eventually for that or accepting myself for that, you know? Um, yeah. And uh, I feel like you, um, you took your power back, right? Because I feel, feel like when you get those kinds of diagnoses that you can, um, just give into it, feel like that's going to Mm -hmm. define your future, but you chose to not allow that diagnosis to, define what was possible for your future that you were going to yeah to get through it and that because you knew that you weren't ready and that you had work to do that you were going to find a way to to heal yourself yeah and there was something you know uh I think uh, is related to the beauty of uh poetry and storytelling it's a little bit what I said before I said to myself I'm going to make an adventure out of this. And that, it was about saying a different story. You know, it wasn't about necessarily about saying the story of poor Laura, even if a lot of times, obviously, I felt pretty sorry (laughs) (laughs) for myself and miserable. But I said to myself, I'm going to make an adventure out of this. And I think that shifted the narrative the stories that I was saying to myself, Mm. first of all, about it. But that gave me also the additional important possibility to be more creative with that, you know, to be more creative in the stories I was saying around it, but to be more creative in the daily uh, choices, actually, you know, because I remember, for example, um, one day, it was literally after chemotherapy, the day after I was cycling in London, the day after, you know. So I made choices to be on an adventure and uh, I bought funny hats, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so, because it was cold in the winter. <laughs> and uh, I wore uh, big earrings, you know, and um I allowed myself to use my creativity and my imagination. And I think that that had a tremendous force and it really uh, freed a lot of energy and uh, possibilities, you know, uh, and different ways of being with that. So as you say, the, you know, a diagnosis like that, and I am aware that there are, you know, different kinds of diagnosis, you know, and different, you know, situations. And yet, as you say, the cancer, it doesn't have to define us and uh, it doesn't have to be an awful sentence, you know, 
about how we want to live. And actually, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't invent a wheel, as you say, because one of the things that I've done also, I've read a lot of inspiring stuff. So I started to research, you know, all the books and the authors and the stories actually of the people who recovered. And uh, so many stories were miraculous. Yeah. Many, 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 many miraculous. So I say to myself, I am going to inspire myself and I will do all that I can to live. And perhaps the lesson was also, and I must say that sometimes nowadays I still may be a little bit forgetful. uh, The lesson was also about how precious is life. You know, when I was presented really with the possibility that I could go, I clinged on to life a lot. Yeah. And it's not, to an extent, maybe part of me as a paradox, there was a paradox, there was a moment where I was also at peace eventually, you know. But uh, I embraced life more than ever. So it was the challenge and the difficulties and the struggle and the diagnosis that actually pushed me to become more alive and uh, bring forward more strength. And uh, as I said, in a more creative way, find my resources, you know, creatively. So, um, you know, we all carry wounds and all of us, we have different stories and, and traumas, you know, and a lot of grief and suffering and all of that. We all encounter the loss in life. So I think that probably the question that we can ask ourselves it is, what are we going to do with that? Right. You know? Yeah. And how, how are we going to uh, embrace or use that material in such a way that, you know, perhaps in an alchemical way, we are transforming that into gold, you know? And uh, for ourselves and for others, you know, I am a, personally a great believer, you know, in the interconnection between the personal and the collective, you know. Yeah. So what we do ripples out, you know. Laura, what advice would you give to somebody going through something similar in their own life right now? So somebody who might have just gotten a diagnosis and, you know, is feeling a bit... uh, hopeless well the first thing would be find support reach out for support to people that you trust so i'm not talking about you know gathering random people right Mm. no (laughs) yeah build your support system with the right people build your support system accordingly in accordance with your belief system you don't have to push yourself to do anything that is not uh you know, feeling okay for you. So I'm not saying go to this therapy rather than other. No, the first thing I would say, build support. That can be a trusted circle of friends. It could be a trusted uh, nutritionist or go to a gym that you like. If you still have the stamina, hopefully to, you know, to exercise, find a body to swim or to, ride the bicycle, whatever that is that it works for you, build support. Maybe somebody who um, comes and visits you on a regular basis or if you're weak, 
somebody who helps you preparing your meals, depending on the circumstances, I would say that support is key. So there is a lot about learning also to reach out and ask for help. Uh, the other thing I would say it is be selfish and put yourself first. So this is not the time to be nice. And this <laughs> is not the time to please people. Yeah. So if there are people that you don't want around for your personal reasons and relationship with them, either because they drain you or they make you feel tired or they're not uplifting, it's very important to be selfish. Put your health first and draw boundaries. So learn also to say no and uh, take some time for yourself and uh, remove the people or the situation or the TV programs or the magazines, whatever that is, that trigger your worries and your anxiety rather than nourishing your inspiration and your capacity to stay as open and as receptive and as positive and as present in the present moment as possible. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Yeah, because I think that um, when you're trying to heal yourself from whatever it is, whether it's cancer, whether it's, you know, emotional trauma, whatever that is, you really have to to take care of yourself and you have to really limit your exposure to negative situations, negative people, and really, yeah, protect yourself so that you yes. can heal in the most um, positive environment possible. Yeah, because you have to consider that that is a moment of uh, heightened, you know, tenderness, uh, vulnerability, sensitivity. So it is now more than ever the moment to learn to take care of yourself and really allow yourself to do that. Give yourself permission. This is, you know, there is so much <laughs> prejudice, you know, about putting oneself first, but yeah. it's really necessary. So make yourself and your life really, really precious and think that what you're doing, you're really taking care of the preciousness of your life. You're precious and you have all the right to decide how you want to do that. And, um, and that includes also trusting yourself and trusting your judgment because uh, people will want to give you advices. Oh, people yeah. will, <laughs> will want to tell you <laughs> what to do, where to do it, how to do it, which kind of therapy, which kind of hospital, where yeah. to do it, all of that. So here again, boundaries, I would say, <laughs> also in this situation, and at the same time, trust yourself. Trust yeah, because I feel like, um, especially when it comes to the self-care piece, that we forget that when we take care of ourselves, then the people in our lives will benefit from that, right? So it's not like, so even selfishness is the greatest gift you can give to the other people in your life. Mm -hmm. Because when you do take care of yourself so that you can be at your best, then you can give a piece of your best to the other people in your life. And I think that um, we sometimes forget that. Yeah. And, you know, these things sometimes are, are also very uh, subtle, you know, 
So it is possible that when we, you know, when we have patterns of uh, pleasing others and, you know, not knowing how to say no and all of that, we are possibly repeating a pattern, you know, that we've learned in the family and, you know, that possibly the people who came before us, they knew it and so on. So when we are making a different choice, actually, we are doing something very important because we are breaking a pattern and that uh, it, it is not just about us, you know. So the repercussions also in this case will ripple in all directions, in all directions, also in relationship to the future, in relationship to... Uh, the little ones in the family, if there are, but even if there are no children, you know, there is a strong uh, impact when we make this kind of different choice and we are really, you know, changing direction. So it's, uh, it's something very, very strong, actually, you know, it's something very strong that we can do for ourselves and for the goodness of all our relationships, literally. Yeah. I would agree with that. Laura, thank you so much for your time and for sharing you. <laughs> your journey and the experiences and the lessons you've learned and the advice that you've provided. I think that the listeners will find it all very valuable. And um, for those of you listening who might be in your car or on the road somewhere, walking your dog at the gym, um, you can come back and check out the show notes and learn more about Laura and what... Um, she's up to there also be links to her social media and website so that you can check out more of um what uh, what programs and things she has going on and again laura thank you so much for your time thank you thank you so much thank you it has been a pleasure really thank you thank you all for listening <laughs> bye and to the listeners thank you so much for your time and we will see you next week have a fabulous day